Welcome to Startup Stories, where we go behind the scenes of some of the most interesting and innovative tech startups in the world. Each episode will bring you in-depth interviews with entrepreneurs and business leaders, sharing their personal stories on success, failure, and everything in between. So whether you're an entrepreneur yourself or someone that's just generally interested in the world of startups, then Startup Stories is the perfect place for you to gain insight and inspiration into some of the most exciting players in the game. So sit back, relax, and join us on a journey of Startup Stories. Boyan, welcome to the Startup Stories podcast. Great to have you here. Great to be there. Thank you, Jordan. My pleasure. So for the listeners, could you give them a brief introduction to who you are? Yes, my name is Boyan Vidanov. I'm a conductor by profession, so I conduct orchestras, but I'm also a co-founder of eNote, which is a music AI tech startup that is digitizing sheet music. So Boyan, if I want to understand you the best way possible, what would I need to know about you from your early years to do that? Well, I'm born and I grew up in a musical family. Both my parents are musicians and music has been the biggest part of my life. And um, I founded an orchestra when I was 23 years old, which now is one of the most important stepping stone orchestras in Germany, maybe in Europe even. It works with very, very famous artists who are coming and it's basically a step between studies and professional life for many musicians. Over 500 musicians passed through it and now are working in one of the top orchestras. So I had a bit of experience as a founder and that led me to, with my passion also for technology, to found together with my colleagues this startup called eNote, where we digitize sheet music and we bring basically the entire experience from paper to digital devices. Where did you grow up? I was born in Sofia in Bulgaria. Then my family moved to Italy when I was one year old. So Italian was kind of my first actual conscious language together with Bulgarian, of course. And then we moved to Germany when I was six on the French border. And therefore, German-French became also a big part of my life. And yeah, I consider myself a true European. (laughs) Why did your parents move to Germany? Well, my parents, as I said, both musicians. My father was opera singer, my mom violinist. And when we moved to Italy, it was escaping from the Iron Curtain, basically, from my parents, starting a new life in Europe. And then when my mom got the position as concertmaster in the German Radio Philharmonic, we moved to Germany. Okay. So you grew up around music, you know, of course, from both your parents, which is amazing. What is it about music for you that just you know makes it such a passion for you well you know for me music is an incredible storytelling from soul to soul and i find that extremely touching and extremely powerful because you can tell stories of feelings without words and everyone understands it it's so multicultural, multi-ethnical. It has nothing to do with all of it because we truly communicate from human soul to next human soul. And that makes it incredibly irresistible for me. Did you always know that you was going to do something with music in your career? When I was a kid already, of course, when you grow up in a musical context with lots of friends and family being musicians, it naturally makes you, of course, at least consider it seriously. Of course, I played tennis quite seriously for a period and I, I, I also had other passions. Um, I remember I, I thought maybe to become a pilot, but in, in a way, deep inside, I knew I'd, I'd always turn out to be a musician. So talk to me about the influence that both your parents had on you. 
Oh, very important one. I think I owe them most of my passion for music um, is, is uh, comes from my parents and um, my my mom was instrumental in my upbringing in a musical way. She she was bringing me to con dragging me to concerts and rehearsals and working with me, basically making sure that I build a musical taste that was very important. My father, being an incredible opera singer, has maybe forged my love for opera and and singing. So both have been extremely instrumental in that. I am very curious about the uh, music industry and the way that you have done it, because I'm quite used to sort of sports and athletics and competing in that way. But in the way you've done it with music, is there an element of competition and competing against others as well? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> I would say unfortunately because actually music is not about competing and it's not a competition. We are so different and every everyone has his personal approach to feelings and to things he wants to express. And unfortunately, there are competitions in our field in order to determine who maybe even this term the best is, is not the right approach because it's not about running fastest or jumping the highest. It's literally about sharing emotions and there cannot be a best person in sharing emotions. So I really want to, to believe in this naive thinking that, that music shouldn't be about that, although there are, of course, competitions who help young musicians to to find a way entering into career. And it's, it's also great because it helps them. But let's say the circumstances that are created around it, this competitiveness is actually not what music is about. Mm -hmm. How would you have described yourself as a child? A bit of an enfant terrible, I would say. I'm quite stubborn, and uh, if you tell me do that, I do the opposite. Okay. <laughs> so quite difficult to manage and handle. I, <laughs> but of course, that helped me also build a bit, you know, um, some kind of stamina in what I do, and which I think for musicians, but also entrepreneurs, especially, it's, it's important to have this, you know, stamina through to weather difficult moments or to, to sit through difficult times. So this is. Yeah, it's part of my character. So walk me through the journey that led you to found your own orchestra at 23. Because I imagine that doesn't just that opportunity doesn't necessarily just come about for anyone. Yeah, and I don't think it was really an opportunity. So Right. It was a struggle. <laughs> <laughs> to me it felt naturally because I had met many colleagues back then, old fellow students, and everyone was telling me that it's super hard to get jobs nowadays at music, as musicians. Alone in Germany, we are having around 800 students who graduate every year and there are maximum 100 places in the orchestras free. So you can imagine what a huge competition in this case for jobs it is. And for me, it was pretty clear that there is this gap between what we learn in the universities and what actually the orchestras expect. There is a pretty big gap and this experience needs to be filled so that the orchestras can be satisfied with the candidates that apply. Because most of those jobs don't get filled because the orchestras are then not happy with the level of the candidates very often. And so... This led me to founding an orchestra where everyone gains experience, works together. It grew, it became pretty big and important, and now we have some of the most important figures in classical music, uh, artists and soloists who are coming regularly to work with the orchestra, and that, of course, created a, a 
pretty big, impactful organization that has, you know, like had a lot of musicians coming, working with the orchestra and then finding jobs and coming back, giving back to the next generation. It became a really inspirational place to be. Was this your full-time job or did you have a, a job outside of the music? No, this, this was my full-time, overtime job. Understood. So did you have any other jobs outside of music or was this your very first job? So actually, yeah, this was my very first. I was still a student when I founded the orchestra. I did not what I'm getting into because, of course, you do plans and everything. But then once you start, you have to do fundraising. You have to, in the beginning, you have to do almost everything, you know, like organizational, but also even stage management, everything. I was doing everything. We were just two people. Um, now it's a big organization. We have you know almost 10 people in the back office and administration and of course everything runs smoother but in the beginning um, you don't know what you're getting into and um, I, I guess it's also a good thing because if you knew you'd maybe not do it <laughs> yeah it's good that you find it out on the way then you're so deep in already that you have no choice than going on <laughs> absolutely so what did this job teach you oh so much I mean, of course, first of all, my profession, I learned my profession through that. I, I really learned how to conduct. I learned how to work, how to rehearse. So just for, from a professional perspective as a musician, I owe that experience a lot because I am the conductor I am because of that. On the other hand, I learned so much outside of music. I learned so much in business. I learned financials. I, I had to run this institution from completely being total newbie and not understanding anything to nowadays, I would say I'm pretty knowledgeable in German taxation systems and business administration and complex matters. So especially in orchestras, it's quite complex because you have a non-profit part, you have a profit part, you have VAT exempted part, you have VAT division within the company. So it's, it's quite complex structure. And because it's not an organization that runs for profit, you usually have to look into how to make it run because you have liquidity planning that needs to be very accurate. So quite complex structures you'd normally find more in big enterprises, but in a small orchestra you need it, otherwise you will not survive. And this is how I actually got pretty knowledgeable in all those fields. And that's something that I owe only to the journey. So almost a decade later, you founded Enote. Yes, I'm really curious about that. So talk to me about the moment where you had this idea brewing and all of a sudden you decided to turn it into reality. Why? Where was you? Talk to me about that. Well, my co-founder Joseph and me, we were very good friends since many years already. And um, 2007, eight, we got to know each other. We were friends. He was coming to my concerts. We were spending lots of time together and... He knew I'm a pretty digital person. I like digital gadgets. I always like to follow what's happening new in tech possible. I buy the things. So he knew that that's a passion of mine and he couldn't grasp why I'd still travel with suitcases full of paper sheet music and why I wouldn't just organize it all in a tablet, um, which at that time existed and were very successful in other fields. And I basically was telling him, well, there is nothing really out there as a solution where it wouldn't require me to, you know, do all the manual labeling work and 
I had done that when I was 16 because my mom was working at the radio orchestra. So I, when I was 16, she was bringing me always a pile of CDs, jazz CDs, and I would all put them into the computer and then label it, name every song. You know, I, I really was a big fan of jazz at that time. And I built a library of almost 60 gigabytes. And that was quite a big library at that time. And it took me a lot of my lifetime during those years. And I didn't want to do that again with sheet music because then Spotify came out and iTunes and we all know how that turned. So I felt like, no, I'm not going to do that again. At some point there will be someone who will do sheet music digitally and then I'll have done this huge work and it's all for the garbage. So I was waiting and waiting and nothing happened. And at some point an opportunity uh, arose because we met or I had already built a relationship with one of the sponsors of the orchestras and this person was very wealthy and ready to, you know, support this idea and be an angel investor. And this is how we started we we thought okay there is a person who is willing to put down a million and and see what what we can do with it and we had a good plan and so we started excellent so talk to me about the emotions and the trials and tribulations that you faced in the first year oh every year <laughs> <laughs> It's a constant, it's a constant roller coaster. I mean, this journey, either you embrace it and you learn to enjoy it or it will kill you. And it's hard. It's hard to, to, I mean, from a perspective of an entrepreneur, you really need to get used to the fact that there are up and downs and that the downs shouldn't be anything else but the motivation for learning and growing. And saying this is easy accepting it and doing it while you're in this down moment it's hard and yeah they are they are fantastic moments i mean seeing the first million on the bank account uh, from an investor is an incredibly exciting moment at the same time facing the problems or not figuring out how certain technical issues are to be solved or even you know then before the next fundraise when you notice that traction is still not there and you need to find ways to convince maybe next investors why they should believe in the story or why they should believe in in this in the potential and success of the company all of this is a hard roller coaster of emotions and I truly believe that one needs to learn to embrace it and understand that with every day that passes, you become more competent, you learn more, and that is what matters most. Yeah, absolutely. So when did you get your first round of funding? 2018, October. And that was how much? One million. One million. How does one go about finding fundraising? Well, I think... Family and friends, what most say, I mean, Mr. Fuchs back then was not family, for sure not, but also friends in a sense. He knew that I had a bit of track record, of course, because I had founded the orchestra. He knew me already quite some time. So he knew that I'm serious about what I do. And then when I introduced him, my partners, he he liked them. And But of course, if there wasn't this personal connection, it would have been much harder. And that connection was built over years of track record. And I think that this track record, it was what you need. You need a bit of luck, knowing the right people. Uh, you need a bit of, yeah, the stars aligning. That's all part of it. I mean, I remember for our last round, I have spoken to over 200 investors. And at the end, the right ones came up and, and invested. So never giving up. It's not over until it's over. That's very true. And your last one was a big one, $10 million. Is that right? 
10 million euro yeah 10 million euro sorry yeah in march march 2023 yes. yeah excellent yes. okay so what does that mean for enote now now that you have that that large 10 million euros for funding well, you know, Enote is an AI tech company. We have pretty high burn rate because of the nature of this product. It requires quite a high level of quality. You cannot just come up with something that is very buggy. Nobody will use it because people use it on stage. Yeah. And nobody wants to be ashamed with something that happened <laughs> because of the device. So you need to be very, very good in what you offer in, in terms of a product. And tech is expensive, especially nowadays, uh, personnel. And um, so therefore, also, there is no real big competitor. I mean, there are a few competitors, but they're all much smaller in what they do in the terms also of the bigger picture of where we want to go. We're definitely the company with the most resources in terms of also knowledge and, and know-how. And that requires money. Therefore, Developing such product or tech is, is always expensive, especially if there's an AI part in, involved in it. And we digitize through AI. Otherwise, if you'd had to do it all manually, you'd spend hundreds of years. And therefore, this is an expensive undertaking and it requires a lot of uh, investment. Absolutely. And of course, equally to that, to create a successful business, you have to get your hiring right. Yep. So tell me what you have done over the last five years to, to hire the right people. That's really, really hard, especially over the Corona years. The COVID time was tough because people were scared to switch jobs um, if they were already in jobs that were secure. So whoever had a job in tech didn't want to really dare to jump ship at that time. So it was not easy to, to fill position. I remember we had periods where we were searching for certain positions for 18 months. It's crazy, but especially in backend, it was like that. Then also you don't take everyone, right? We had a rejection rate, which was almost as high as Harvard University, I remember at some point from everyone who was applying till you finally got till the third round. And we had the round, especially in the very early days where we had, we needed really top-notch specialists. It was long interviews, two, three hour interviews without any computer. It was just on the board, heavy math, you know, and algorithms. So it requires competence. So our CTO is an incredible, knowledgeable person. He knew how to find the right people with their right knowledge and then it requires a nose for human qualities because even if you find the biggest specialist if that person if you have a feeling that it's a toxic person or someone who will create or destabilize the team then you should not hire yeah i totally agree with you there talk to me about your relationship with your with your co-founder and why you work together well we're 100 degrees different from each other and yeah. we have no ego at all between us which is a rare thing which is so beautiful if you have that and this is also why i believe that that relationship works really well because we fight like crazy because everyone is strong and had it you know and believes in what he thinks but is totally open to the arguments of the other so if your arguments are strong you will manage to swing joseph's idea completely to, to your side or often what happens is that together we're always looking for the best compromise of our ideas because we know that both have valid points and in this positive way of thinking for sure what he says is right but what i say is right too so we need to find 
the you know the middle way that is best because often you find the middle way which is the worst if ego is involved and in, in this case without ego both want the best for the company and the the project and this works really well we know each other since so many years already so this um, has turned out to be a great relationship not just as friends but also in business that's so great to hear because i know that um Many would say, you know, having a co-founder can be detrimental, but then others would say it's absolutely essential to have that second voice, someone you can share opinions with and make sure that you're doing the right thing. So getting that right is really crucial. And if that that isn't right, then it'll be hard to filter that down to the rest of the team. So it's a, it's a crucial part. I mean, I think as an entrepreneur, having this other person with whom you can, having this pairing partner in, in, in thinking and, and, and strategic decision making is so important. At the same time, you need this also emotional support. I mean, they are up and downs, right? As entrepreneurs, as we were saying, you you have moments where you're really down and having then this other person who might at this moment not be down can be a counterweight and helping you to, to find energy again and hope. So... I think this is really important and it helps. Ego is the biggest issue. And if you can find someone with whom there is no, where the other person doesn't want to be you or you don't want to be the other person, because this happens very often that some person is, you know, in the spotlight in companies, usually like that, you have an introvert and an extrovert, or you have someone who, who has more, you know, more of a, public appearance, somebody who may be a bit less. And if this person who has a bit less would like to have that other person position, then this can happen. Or, you know what I mean? This is something where you should maybe look for finding people who are totally settled and know what they are, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, and where they accept each other's, you know, input and grow together. That That's wonderful if you can find that. Have you ever felt like with Eno, this isn't going to work? <laughs> it's an interesting question. Deep down, no. Deep down, I believe strongly this is going to work. This is the right thing. And it's going to be very, very big. It's, it's changing the entire industry. And having some of the big players totally scared of us is a great indicator, which just confirms this feeling. On the other hand, on a day-to-day -day basis, you have that feeling all the time because you you try to figure out how do I make people who are used for 200 years to grab paper when they need sheet music to now think of grabbing their iPad. That's changing of habit. There are so many factors involved in making this business fly where you daily constantly are in struggle and thinking how to you know, address a problem and fix it. So yes, you have that doubt all the time, but important is, I think, to insight deep down to feel that's the right thing and it's gonna, it's gonna work. Yeah, the inner belief has to always be there, but you are gonna have those doubtful days where perhaps something has just has not gone your way or you've had a big failure or something like that. But those happen, right? Absolutely. What's been the hardest moment over the last five years with Eno for you? I don't think in those hardest or nicest. It's, it's, I guess the hardest moment is always when you're in it. Yeah. <laughs> so in that moment, it's the hardest. And then you manage to overcome it and then you are happy and then you realize the next big thing to be solved. And then I think the difficulty is not to let yourself come that deep in the 
in the rabbit hole to be, you know, totally taken over by the by the weight of the problem. Because usually as a CEO or as a founder, the most difficult problems land on your table. It's always like that. So the things that others cannot solve will land on your table. And so you actually are constantly dealing with stuff that either it's very difficult to be solved or there's nobody in the company who can do it. So it's just annoying, but you have to do it. Mm -hmm. You rarely end up doing things which are just fun and great. <laughs> and this is, I think, what people do not realize. They say, oh, I want to be my boss. Well, you become the slave of the company for a long time until you can become your own boss. And this is why you need to change the mindset and, and try to proactively form your life in a way where you still are in charge of it and don't become naturally really the slave of everything because this is what's going to happen for you as a CEO. And um, that requires mindset, mindset forming and all the time working on it and convincing yourself almost of, of certain things in order to you know keep a positive mindset because once you're deep down in the negative thinking, it's very, very hard to get out of it. Do you find that when you experience adversity or challenging times that, you know, whilst you're in it, it feels like the worst thing in the world. But once you come out of it, it always gets better or your product or business always improves. That's what I've found. Like when you come across a challenge, when everything's going so perfectly and you're like, you hit this roadblock and like, oh no, what are we going to do about this? But I often find that when you face a problem, you know, as long as you can quickly find a solution you actually end up improving the business and you're glad for the problem in the first, eventually in the first place. Absolutely. I'm glad for every mistake. Of course, if you do all the time mistakes, you're going to fail. It's clear. <laughs> but generally mistakes are fantastic because a mistake will lead you to a learning and the learning will lead you to never doing that mistake again. So it's a guarantee then for success. On the other side, if you all the time do things right, it's basically random. Of course, you can have a gut feeling for things and doing things right, but still you don't know how often did we have incredibly well-performing campaigns on Facebook and feeling, oh, we need to improve it. And then we change something. It just gets worse and worse and worse. And we did basically not know what was right because we would do changes and the changes would perform worse than before. And sometimes when you do things right, you do not realize you're doing them right. And therefore you don't know and you cannot replicate. How important would you say it is to make fast decisions? Yeah, procrastinating is not good. Fast decisions are important. You need to take, take the faith in your hand and, and, and not wait. Waiting is the worst you can do in terms of monetary because you have a burn rate, but also in terms of you know, leadership in front of the team. The team often requires the leader to take a decision. You need to own also the fault if it was not right, but but having, you know, helping your, your teammates to take a decision is extremely important. So taking fast decisions is part of the job description of a CEO. Yeah, I think this is why candidates or employees uh, really enjoy working for startups because of that fast-paced environment. Because I, I, the reason why I asked that question, I listened to a podcast myself recently and they said, one of the number one reasons why businesses fail is because they don't make decisions fast enough. Yeah. They're not able to turn things around when adversity hits. Yeah. So I think that's really key. Well, taking fast decisions and then executing fast. Yes. 
Yeah. This is the second thing that is really required. And you can run into troubles because the bigger and more complex your product is, it requires maintenance. Even if you did an amazing job and having a low maintenance product, still it requires maintenance. And making major pivots, major changes can require a lot of development effort. And that can then, you know, you can take the decision fast, but then it can take months until you finally see see it come to fruition. So I'd say making fast decisions and having having small test projects that can be realized in a fast and dirty, quick and dirty way so you can test your assumptions. This is something really important. Yeah, absolutely. You got to you got to sort of trial trial it out and see what happens, trial and error. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So 5 years deep now, what would you put your success down to so far? I'm very proud of the company we've built. So the team culture is great. We have a wonderful group of people, extremely competent from so many different fields. We managed to bring them together and work together. You know, it's not easy to bring musicologists and musicians with IT um, developers speak the same language. We have a so multicultural team. We have, I think, over 20 something nationalities and the team is 50 people. So it's, it's, it's really nice. Yeah. Um, super diverse, super nice. You can learn so much from them. So the team, one thing. The product, I'm really proud of where we came. There's still a lot of things to be done, but we managed to overcome major hurdles, especially in the AI part and digitization. We managed to really push the boundaries there. We set a really great basis for growing and for being able to, you know, get this product out. The funding we have received has been unheard of in this field until now. So I'm proud of that too. Now it's all about, we have the ingredients, we have everything. Now we need to get the market to use it more and more. We've had a lot of free users using the app. We see a constant growth of daily active users, um, monthly active users um, ratio. So that's a great thing. Monetization has started uh, recently, so now we need to improve that. There's still a lot of things to be done on the business side. Excellent. Well, you've got that funding earlier this year. Sounds like now the next step, as you as we were just talking about, is the execution, which yes. is really exciting for, for you guys at Enote. So what's the the long-term plans and ambitions for Enote? How far do you want to take this business? So the long-term plans is definitely changing the sheet music industry making it fully digital that has a huge impact on the entire music industry i mean you have it goes from the hobby musician at home who practices who will have an assistance tool that will you know even compose arrangements on demand for you so that you hear a song on the radio and say i'd like to play that and it can just spit out an arrangement for you according to your skill level so you can play it on the piano to fully automize theaters and to recording studios, you know, all those kind of things. So it really will have a huge impact on the whole industry. And at the same time, also help democratizing access to music. Um, we have so many customers sitting right around the world from the Philippines or in Kosovo writing us and saying, thank you guys. I never had access before to this music and thanks to you now I can access it so this this part is very important and ultimately making music education again center in, in our society because it was uh, and then digitization came and society became fast-paced and kids nowadays 
grow up with iPads and, and digital things. And for them, having a piece of paper in front feels like a dinosaur age. Yeah. Um, and, and having something that makes this whole process of learning an instrument more interactive for them, more in their, you know, in their way of doing things nowadays, that would be great because music making is something that brings us humans together. So many movie scenes with people around the fire with the guitar. This is this is something that really brings us together and we share on a level that is so deep and emotional and enriching for our souls. And I'd like ultimately to make society keep it and maybe even grow it in society. Amazing. And for yourself personally, what motivates you to get out of bed every morning and, and do this every single day? Seeing this product being exactly how I imagine it. I mean, just from a now professional perspective, what really motivates me, I'm a product person. I, I love to dig into products and, and, and I mean, this is naturally, I guess, because I'm a conductor, it's also a product, the music we're doing and working with the people on it. So this is something that motivates me seeing the improvement, seeing the ideas come to life. This is what makes really me strive and, and gives me the wish to go on and innovate more and more. Last question then. So above everything you've done in your career, what's the single most important lesson that you have learned? When you start doing something, you need to really look at what is your real motivation behind it. And if your real motivation behind that is passion for what you do, it will be such a fuel throughout all the difficult moments that you will always withstand any kind of storm that comes across. And passion is what will make work not feel like work. And therefore, you will always have the wish to go on because you always will feel that actually you're getting money for doing something you love. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we spend most of our time with. So if you do something, do it out of passion and everything else will be okay. Well, well put. <laughs> I've got a bonus question, actually. I'm very curious. What's your favorite instrument? Oh, look, I'm a conductor. <laughs> and this is why I became one, because I love the combination of the sounds of different instruments. I think this mixture of... And this is this amazing thing in music that when you put a horn, a viola and an English horn together, it creates such an interesting color. That's what really made me love the orchestra because this incredible palette of colors and, and possibilities. Therefore, I cannot say that I have one favorite. I can say that there are many different favorite moments in music, which are a unique combination of many different sounds. Again, well put. <laughs> I guess that's why you're the conductor. <laughs> I guess so, yes. <laughs> yeah. Boyan, thank you so much for joining me on the Startup Storage Podcast. Absolute pleasure. It's great to see someone that's got a passion first and then they turn it into a business. It sounds like music was a, a destiny for you with regards to building a business with Eno. And I, I look forward to following the journey and see how far you go. Thank you, Jordan. It was my pleasure. My pleasure too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Startup Stories. I hope you enjoyed hearing from our guests and learning more about their journey in the startup world. I'll be back soon with another exciting episode featuring a new guest. So make sure to subscribe to Startup Stories so you never miss an episode. 
Also, don't forget to follow me on social media for updates and additional content. And if you have any suggestions for guests or topics you'd like to hear about, please reach out to me. And as always, I appreciate your support and feedback. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.